Hello, I'm Zara, a self-published author of young adult and new adult fiction, a publishing grad student at NYU, and an aspiring literary agent. Hi, I'm Kelly, a genre-hopping writer, domestic goddess, which is a fancy way of saying that I am a stay-at-home mom and wife, and I occasionally captain the Hot Mess Express. And this is Writish, the podcast by writers for writers, where we discuss craft and hot topics in the writing community. This season, we're also starting to get into some interviews with other writers and industry professionals, so we're very excited for that and hope you'll enjoy those episodes as much as we did recording them. We'd also like to give a brief trigger warning that there is a small mention of domestic violence in this episode. It is my great pleasure to introduce Lauren Hesse, my advanced social media marketing professor at NYU Center for Publishing and the social media director of Little Brown Books. You gave a quick rundown of your career during class, but for our listeners who obviously were not there in the room with us, do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for the intro. Yeah, so I have kind of always been in the publishing realm. I started my career rights out of college, out of undergrad at St. Martin's Press, where I was a social media coordinator, and then kind of moved up a little bit and through a restructure was kind of in a more digital marketing focused role. So that is what I did for the next few years. I went on to work at Doubleday, which is part of Penguin Random House, where I also was doing digital marketing. And that's kind of what includes what we call title marketing. So I had a list of books and authors that I was doing kind of all facets of a marketing plan for, which was wonderful. But I think I was really looking for kind of blue sky over overseeing all titles, overseeing maybe a brand's voice. And so I did end up taking a break from publishing and I went to go do social media at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was an incredible once in a lifetime, amazing career choice. And I was there for a few years and absolutely loved it. But this opportunity came at Little Brown to do social media, which is pretty rare in publishing to have something that's just focused on social media without any of what they call the title marketing. And it just was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And I have been at Little Brown now for a little over three years and still absolutely love it and kind of I'm still a little shocked that this job exists. So I feel very fortunate for that. That sounds like an amazing career journey with where you're at right now, like how you started and where you ended up. So what are some important skills that you need to have in this job? Great question. I think the number one thing, and this is what I said in class, is adaptability and flexibility. You know, I think you can study and you can learn systems and software, and that's fantastic. But those things change. And even in the course of my career, I mean, there are social media platforms that no longer exist. There are major bookstore chains that no longer exist. So kind of the only constant is change. And so I think adaptability, the ability to learn, the ability to kind of be flexible and curious is the most important thing over anything that's like super technical. Of course, unsurprisingly, and kind of perfect for this podcast, if you are an author or someone looking to go into social media or marketing and publishing, like writing, good, solid writing, sense of voice is one of the number one things, of course, being able to manage a community, communicate with the community, 
and write copy is, you know, kind of the skill that is most important. And I think lucky for your listeners, a skill that obviously they're interested in. So I would say that's kind of number one. To be fair, I think some of them are maybe not interested in it, but they know they have to do it. It's like a necessary evil to them, but I'm one of the few people who enjoys it. You kind of talked about the adaptability already, which is great. And I really like that part from our class a lot. But when we opened up to our audience to get questions for you, one of them was how much of your job depends on current trends versus what's coming up. We talked about if you're going to use a meme, do your homework so you don't really, really mess up there. Uh, I know that you had told us about you were trying to do the squid game cookie thing. And then that kind of fell through just because of who was in the office and things like that. But how much is it about we're going to try and capitalize on what's happening now versus we need to be ready for the next thing? Totally. It's I think when you were working in social media in publishing, you kind of have to I always equate it to, I mean, it is very right brain, left brain, but I think you kind of have to have these different, like you have to compartmentalize. So I guess it's kind of, I don't want to take the easy out, but it's like both. So I think you're always thinking ahead. So you're always thinking a season ahead or a couple seasons ahead when you're thinking about books you're going to be working on and that are going to be publishing and kind of planning, you know, if pre-orders are important. How are we going to talk to people online about getting this book early? Or how are we going to set ourselves up so that when we hit on sale, we're off and running? But then there is the community management element, which is really focused on, like you said, taking pop culture references and trends and even, you know, very serious news stories because the list I work on is all adults, fiction, nonfiction, but then we also have illustrated and lifestyle and health and wellness. So there's kind of this backlist of all of the books that my company has previously published that could actually add to a current conversation. So I wish there was a magic formula that was like, you know, spend a third of your time looking for new trends, a third planning ahead, and then a third in the moment. That sounds great. That's not practical. So I would say it's kind of just always having like one in the back of your head. So if you're kind of working on a trending thing, you know, maybe later in the day or later in the week, you're going to have to do some pre-planning for what's coming next. Or if you're working on, you know, kind of future plans in the back of your head, you're like, okay, I should check in and see, is there something trending that I can relate either our books or just like, can I bring the community in and have a conversation around reading and writing in a way that fits this timely thing? So I guess the best metaphor would be like truly a stove with things on burners on low, like that you always have something on the back burner ready to kind of come up front. I love that analogy. I am into the kitchen all the time as like a native Ohioan. We're always in the kitchen. So that's a really good analogy. (laughs) But besides that... (laughs) What is the, okay, you're going to have to forgive me because like I said, I am but a native redneck, a humble redneck. So this next question is not worded as eloquently as some of the other ones. But it gets to the point and that's what we want. So shoot. (laughs) What is the most cringe marketing tactic you have seen a writer slash author do? Oh man. Okay. So first off, I have to say, 
I'm from upstate New York. So we are, Kelly, you and I are actually peas in a pod. (laughs) I told you you didn't have to worry. (laughs) Uh, So I totally get it. Upstate New York is like we, you are speaking my language. (laughs) So um, I'm laughing over here. So I appreciate that. Okay. Cringe is really hard hard, right? So this is what I always tell authors I'm working with or authors who are interested in maybe starting social media. People know when you're faking it and know when you are not into it, when you're uncomfortable, when you haven't hit the mark. And so I think the cringiest thing you can do is try too hard in a non-genuine way. In class, we talked about always check your hashtags because sometimes you actually could chime in on a hashtag and cause some harm. Say you're doing a harmless thing and you're trying really hard and you miss the mark. There's something like very endearing in that. I think the cringe comes when you're trying too hard and not genuine and people see right through it. I mean, and then of course there is the harmful specific, which we talked about in class. Which I'm going to be saving for our next question. Great. Okay. So we'll get into that. Perfect. This sounds great. We can kind of move on. Okay. Do you ever think there's something that a writer can't come back from? And one of my favorite things about the class, aside from you just being very good at engaging us, was we went through a lot of marketing fails on social media, and some were bad and some were worse. And one of the worst ones was trigger warning, just so people know. There was a hashtag to raise awareness about victims of domestic violence who stay. And the hashtag was why I stayed. And DiGiorno Pizza really messed up when they did a tweet that said, hashtag why I stayed, they had pizza. And that wasn't good for obvious reasons. And that's a company. And obviously, you know, things blow over for companies and sometimes they don't. But for an author who, you know, it's them and their book or books, if they're lucky, but you know, they don't have the benefit of people forgetting that it happened. So like, what would an author's situation be like if they did a really, really bad thing like that? Could they come back from it? Is Do they have to go underground? What would you recommend? Totally. If you had asked me a couple of years ago, I think I had a very different take on, you know, what kind of this general umbrella of cancel culture, where I think... I would have said like, yeah, I think there are certain things you can never come back from. There are certainly things that you cannot come back from. But I think with more experience, with seeing it more, seeing it happen with other authors and brands, I think you can come back. I think that's the hope. So my thought is that readers and consumers want to know you're listening. So let's say it's a mistake that came not from malicious intent. And you make a genuine mistake online, you say something and you see that people are upset. The most important thing is to kind of listen and to really see where you went wrong and then think before responding. Because I think the most important thing in these conversations is seeing and hearing the criticism, which is also if you are the person who's made this mistake, kind of got themselves canceled, that's going to be the hardest thing because human nature is to kind of defend yourself and to say, well, that's not what I intended, but the harm is already done. And so I think if you can show learning, I think that's really important. I think there's something important to taking a break. I also think, you know, we kind of joke about it from time to time, but, you know, when you see a celebrity screw up, 
there's often that they call it the notes app apology where you've written out an apology either yourself or often with the help of a PR agency. And for some reason, we've started screenshotting our notes app on our iPhones. And I think those can be great. I think they can also really miss the mark. And so I think the apology is important, but the real, like, you just have to show action on learning. I think if you're not going to come back, it's because you've doubled down on what you've said. You believe you're in the right. You don't listen to people who've said, hey, actually, by saying this thing, you've caused harm. I think it's the proving that you're not learning your lesson and not listening. That's what you can't come back from more than just saying something that maybe causes harm. Coming back from that doesn't mean the harm is erased, right? Like the harm is out there and it has happened, but I think, and and like to be optimistic about human nature that we can grow and learn and you can come back a kind of better person. It might take a lot of time, but I think, I think you can come back. Kind of like the uh, best apology is changed behavior. Totally. Change behavior and action. And I think, you know, in a way I've seen this happen, certainly in the writing community, where people are very upset online, but people can also be really generous and they can say, hey, here are organizations to donate to. Here is a book to read. Here is an author to follow or an activist to listen to. And I think like taking those actions, if people are generous enough to be like, hey, I'm really upset, but also here's what you should be doing. I mean, that's beautiful. So yeah, I I think action is the number one thing. And you don't always have to show the action. Like sometimes you can just go away, do it, and then integrate it into your life. You don't have to broadcast all of the quote, you know, work you're doing. I love that. That's a really good answer, especially with how today, like in a society, how we're moving forward with a lot of ideas and whatnot. Another thing that we were getting to is like a lot of online authors are now warning that anyone who isn't already a mega hit will not get any marketing support from a publishing house. So what is your answer to this very depressing generalization? I mean, it makes me so sad because I there is. So there is so much marketing. And again, I can only speak for the imprints I've worked at and, and the books I've worked on, but there's so much that happens behind the scenes too. And I think, you know, I think sometimes we talk about this with publicity too, where you might be have a publicist who is pitching away and there's something going on in the news cycle where the novel you're working on is not going to get a ton of attention or you've written a piece of nonfiction that like just isn't getting placed right now. The same thing's happening in marketing where people are doing things behind the scenes. They're working with influencers. They're looking at consumer reviews and creating assets. And like, there is a lot that's happening behind the scenes that, you know, maybe isn't always shared proactively. And so I think it's really good in the beginning to have a conversation about expectations. And I think agents can be really helpful with that too. So especially if you're a first time author or you are working with with a new imprint or a new publishing house, you know, kind of talk to the team and say, hey, how do you go about these things? What does your reporting look like? What will you update me on? And like, are there things I should be doing or asking? And I think that goes such a long way because I think I've seen it happen on both sides. I have friends who are authors, but I also have been a book marketer and I see both sides where 
it's really the lack of communication that is becoming the thing that's hard versus work and, and marketing attention not actually happening. And if there are specific things that you think might work for your book, you know, as an author, you know your audience and your readers and your content. And so how can you kind of create a team? Because the truth is people in publishing are so passionate. People in marketing that I have seen are above and beyond and often being very, what I like to call scrappy. You know, sometimes we might not have a major advertising budget And so we are like working and getting as creative as possible. And so kind of everyone on the team really wants the book to work. And that I think is like when we all remember that, I think that makes a really beautiful partnership. I do like that. I also like the whole functioning and working as a team. And even if the budget isn't as big as what the author might have been originally anticipating, you can still get something creative put out there for marketing. With all this in mind, how do you decide on a social media strategy for your authors? We're thinking about social media throughout the process. So often when we're in the acquisition process, that's a very standard thing that agents and editors send along in their memos are kind of social media following. And that's something I'm also often looking at. It's a really good conversation early on in acquisition as well. If a book is purchased and the author says, hey, I really think like TikTok is where I want to be, but I don't know where to start. Those are great conversations to kind of have early on with your agent, with your editor oftentimes, but also with your marketing team once they're assigned. And then my strategy is thinking about readership. Where are the readers and what are they doing? I'm catering to all kinds of books. And so if I have a book that has like a more specific readership, you know, say it's historical fiction and we know we need Elizabethan fans, where are they at? We can find communities that are much more niche and work with them. So I think it's that definition, but also I think it's really important to not rule out any audiences. And I think That's a conversation I see happening a lot in publishing around diversity and around publishing stories that have not historically received as much attention or as much money very problematically. And I think, you know, stories from BIPOC authors should be for everyone. And we need to think critically about that as an industry. And I think we also need to kind of get away from some of the siloing when it comes to our marketing plans. And also kind of you let the readers and consumers decide. People have taste. I mean, I'm sure everyone here has gone into a bookstore or heard a friend talking about a book and you're kind of like, oh, that's not a genre I would really be interested in, but that story sounds amazing and I want to read that. Those are some of my favorite books. So I think not living by this kind of marketing audience definition, I would say. I really like that. Kind of going back to not as egregious as the previous things we've talked about, but what is a frequently misused marketing strategy that you see writers doing? This is great. I think the need or the thought that you have to be everywhere all at once. I tell my authors all the time, pick what feels good in terms of platform and messaging and the content you're creating. And it's better to be on one or two platforms really, really well than it is to be on all major platforms and kind of throwing content against the wall, which sometimes you have to do, right? Like sometimes you have to try 
content and try a platform and see if it's right for you. It's always good to just like take a pause, think about what you want and what you want to achieve and kind of setting some smaller, more measurable goals at the start. Because also if you're a writer, you also have to be writing. You have to be working on your craft. And as much as you love or loathe that, you know, it's not worth it to you to kind of drive yourself crazy to get a huge Twitter following if it's not something that you're actually enjoying or is actually benefiting you. To build off of that, at this point, I feel like most people do have at least one social media account already. But if theoretically an author was given to you and they have an email, maybe not even an email list, would you prefer that they create a social media account that you can help them build up? Or would you just kind of be like, okay, we're going to focus on different forms of marketing because clearly you're not into social media and work from there? That is where the very honest conversation happens. From a marketer's standpoint, having an honest conversation about time commitment is always really important. You know, kind of okay, how much time do you want to be spending on social media? And if it's none, then that is an indicative thing to kind of explore. But if it's, I want to spend an hour a week, then kind of thinking about the book and the audience and maybe picking one platform that feels right. And I think the hardest part of this, and it's, I again, I always wish I had these like magical formulas or magical ways to kind of this is how you gain X followers in six months. It's a slow build and it takes a lot of time. You know, I think in emerging platforms, TikTok is probably the platform it's easiest to quote, go viral on. But I think that Instagram is probably the most user-friendly and kind of touches on more audiences. And then Twitter is going to be kind of straightforward, you know, where you're putting your hot takes, kind of where you're finding your people that are really having these kind of online conversations. And Facebook is, there's nothing wrong with Facebook. I think it's an incredible advertising platform and an incredible place to just grab a username and a page. So yeah, I think grabbing, grabbing a page anywhere, grabbing your username, and those can sit dormant. You can kind of take your time to explore if you're looking to start in social media and you haven't before. Just really take your time and know it's going to feel slow and there are going to be times where you're like, this might not be worth it. And that's a time to evaluate. I might have to change my username now on my TikTok account that I have. (laughs) Because now I'm like, oh, I should probably make it match my Instagram handle and, you know, make everything so cohesive and nice, even though I'm not using TikTok currently to advertise. I told Kelly to change all her usernames while taking the class (laughs) because she hasn't posted a lot about her writing everywhere as much as I have. But now that we're posting our podcast everywhere, Kelly is getting a lot of internet mentions. And I was like, you need to have your name. We love that. There is, I will say TikTok is a platform that it's feeling a little more cohesive now when it first in its kind of infancy in the US was like the Wild West. And I don't think anyone had a username that was remotely close to their name or what they were doing or their passions, which was kind of the fun part of TikTok. (laughs) So I support whatever you decide to do, Kelly. But, you know, you might want to see if you can claim that full name username. Probably we'll have to do that after we get done recording this now. 
But talking about authenticity, when marketing, like how authentic is too authentic? It's an incredible question. I think go back to that kind of thought about harm. We want some harm reduction. We want to make sure we're not hurting anyone or being too brutally honest. I think especially with, you know, if you're critiquing other authors, I've seen people critique covers of books and like be very, very honest to the point where it might actually kind of cause some hurt or even if it's not intentionally directed at a person's. But I also think it's about finding community, right? Because we've had, I have a very dear friend who runs, she came to talk to our class, has a book out called Cheeky and has a Substack and an Instagram account called the Cheeky Blog. And she talks very openly about the things that we might call gross about a body, but actually should embrace. And if we talked about it more, you would find out everyone has something going on. And it's very fun and very funny. And so I think like she's found her audience where people will chime in and it is mainly women and non-binary folks following and, and chiming in and kind of saying like, oh, I thought I was the only one. So she's found her audience. I think also it took some time. And at first you might not just throw out like, hey, let's talk about bodily functions to the internet and no one's there and it's crickets, that's kind of uncomfortable. So I think finding your audience to be authentic to is key, but I think it's also a little bit of trial and error. So you can build up to how much you want to share. And I also think, you know, the marketing side of me is like, don't say this, but I think like if it is cathartic to you, if sharing a facet of yourself is wonderful and it's not just for engagement or followers, that's okay too. You know, sometimes you just have to get things out and maybe you want to keep that in a journal or keep it to yourself, or maybe you feel comfortable and there's something freeing about sharing a facet of yourself on the internet that maybe someone else would relate to. It's a risk. So I would say don't cause harm. Maybe don't wildly embarrass yourself. The internet is forever. Screenshots happen. I think have fun with it and kind of experiment with how much you're willing to share and you can always tone it back or share more if you're finding like, oh, I found my people. I found a receptive audience. Let's keep this going. How should writers promote themselves and or their projects while writing versus the lead up to publication and post-publication? And I think the person who had asked this from our audience, they were kind of wondering if they're going for a traditional publishing and they want to show that they have a platform, but they know that, you know, the book title is probably going to change or something like that. Like how much emphasis do they put on their story versus just them? And then even in the process until it's actually published, the book title could change. So where do they share their excitement for their book and all the different stages without having to later be like, oh, the title changed. And like all my posts are going to be confusing to people who miss the fact that the title changed. Totally. That's a great question. I think this goes back to just total openness about the process. I'm always surprised, but also not at how interested people are in all parts of the writing process and of an author's life. And so things that you as an author might think are boring or might think, oh, everyone knows this. People might not actually know. So I've seen authors kind of just call it, you know, their manuscript or their novel while they're working on it. And maybe they will say like, here's the working title when they'll take a picture of the manuscript printed out to go to their agent or their editor. So I think that's one way. And I think to just kind of 
identify like at this step in the process, here's where we are. We have the story and the outline and here's what the characters might be, or I'm writing a novel about X until it's kind of more decided. And I think that authenticity in the process is actually going to be way more interesting to people than you might think. But I agree, you don't want to get, want to get people super attached to a title or a character or a concept for cover design that is not going to happen. If you're willing to share that, this is what I think I want to title the book, but I'm not sure yet. Or you might want to just kind of keep some of those conversations to yourself and talk in more general terms. And then kind of as these things are confirmed, tease them out and reveal them to your followers, which is like a very exciting thing for you and for the people who care about your writing. I know on AuthorTube, which is how Kelly and I met and a lot of our other friends, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm working on project insert letter, or if you're Kate, project death, which is all about assassins and things like that. So that's cool to know that it's been backed (laughs) by a publishing professional. So you heard it here. (laughs) Totally. Happy happy to put the seal of approval on that. <laughs> so how can authors and writers make marketing more fun and less intimidating? That is a really a good reminder for me because in my head, I'm like, but marketing is fun, but it's very intimidating sometimes. Planning is your friend. Thinking about content, thinking about, again, how much time do I want to commit to social media or my newsletter or self-promotion and being realistic about what you want to achieve from it. So, you know, in marketing, we talk about key performance indicators, KPIs, and kind of setting a goal of we want X number of people to open an email or we want this many video views. You don't have to get that into the weeds on your goals, but I think setting some realistic boundaries, even I would say for yourself of like, okay, I'm going to commit this time or I want to get this kind of level of interest or following or engagement. And I think just kind of making it a part of your routine. But also, I think sometimes people think you have to be a little one-dimensional. You have to have a thing, a niche, when you should be sharing as much as you are willing to, again, with the authenticity and what feels safe share other facets of yourself as a fully formed human and the fully formed, interesting, fascinating person you are, because you don't have to be just a writer or just an aspirational kind of Instagram account. Like you can also be real. And and actually when you include those other interests and you don't focus on the buy my book marketing that's when you get more engagement. That's when people kind of feel more comfortable in your community. And you also might find kind of a thing, a, a hashtag or a, a thing that you live tweet or this kind of commonality in your community that you can speak to along with the books and the writing that you're doing. I think we're a little bit speechless, but that was great. <laughs> I was like, did I answer the question? I feel like maybe I missed some of the marketing side of things. You made it very clear that if you're authentic, it should be fun. So I think... You did great, which is very weird for me to say to my former professor. (laughs) So kind of pivoting, this is a money question, and I feel like you're going to say it depends on the book. So I'm totally prepared for that. And but 
In self-publishing, the budget for marketing includes the cover because obviously that's very important. And an audience member of ours wants to know if that's the case for traditional publishing and also like how much money would you say is the minimum to successfully market a book? And I know that earlier you had said in a different answer that oftentimes you might be working with not a huge budget and you really have to get scrappy and do think outside of the box creative tactics. But if you could give a number or if you really think that's impossible, let us know. I wish I had a magic number where it was like, you can spend $250 and sell 25 books. Isn't that great? Like, I wish. If publishing was a science, we'd all be super rich. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So um, it's, you know, it's a little trickier and a little more, a little more fun, a little more um, trial and error, I would say. Starting with kind of the concept of cover design in a more traditional, you know, at a big five for now, soon to maybe be four, we don't know, publisher or an independent publishing house, you're working with your editorial team. There's often, if it's a big enough team, there's going to be designers in-house. And so I don't totally work with, that's much more an editorial and production space. And I'm forever fascinated by cover design. And I think, you know, the cover designers have worked with are some of the most brilliant people and I'm in awe of them. But I think that's much more kind of like an in-house thing that I think the author doesn't necessarily have to worry about as much. I think it's often, you know, if you're licensing a photo or the design is coming internally, it's something that the publishing team is taking care of. But on the marketing side, in terms of cost, you know, your marketing budget is going to go towards what we call traditional or print advertising, digital advertising, which will be display or search ads, social media advertising, which will be specific to social sites, and then kind of the marketing materials. There's usually an art team, so it's not like you're paying an extra fee to design ads. There's, that's kind of in the publisher's bottom line is we have a designer that is on staff, but maybe sometimes we'll make a what we call, which I keep thinking we're going to get away from, but the term of swag has stuck around. So swag or giveaways or your kind of like branded items that you would be giving to super fans or to readers or in in sweepstakes, that's also from a marketing budget. So the good news I would say is that while I don't have like this is the magic number, it can be very low if you are smart with your targeting. So you could do some search terms or some Facebook or Instagram advertising. Even, I mean, Twitter's a little trickier, but you can do self-serve advertising on Twitter and you can do self-serve advertising on TikTok. And you can spend a couple hundred dollars and really get impressions. So we talked about this in class, but I think the number one thing is setting a goal. You know, you've got kind of a wide spectrum of objectives. You're starting with awareness. So you're starting with getting people who are not aware of your writing or your book or your brand. You get them aware, you gain some consciousness. That's kind of the middle where they're aware of you, but like maybe they're not ready to take action. And then you're taking action, you're getting them to buy a book or pre-order or take an action, you know, to your website, sign up for your newsletter. So obviously you're going to kind of have to, if you're starting from square one where there's no awareness, you're going to have to spend a little more money, but you'd be surprised on how, if you target really well, if you look at comp authors or television shows or topics, you can really set up an audience and spend truly a couple hundred dollars to 
gain more awareness and engagement and maybe even get some, you know, email signups or clicks or book sales from it. I feel like this kind of leads into our next question really well then. How do you find and target the appropriate audience? So is there like a single social media app that's better for marketing? And does it change based on the target audience of the book? You can use software to kind of do kind of all-encompassing ad programs. So you can do a Sprout or a Hootsuite and use that to do all of your social ads. But I would say if you are a little more budget conscious, what we what they call native platforms. So your business manager for Facebook and Instagram, your, you know, ads.twitter for Twitter and your TikTok advertising, Snapchat or Snap Inc advertising and marketplace, like those spaces that exist within the apps or platforms are actually really, really great resources. I think aptly YouTube is your friend. So you can also see there are so many digital marketing people on the internet talking about kind of, again, the only constant is change. So like changes that have happened to algorithms or to ad targeting, like you can always kind of find a quick YouTube video. So I think like staying on top of updates on the platforms is key. And then in terms of finding an audience that's successful, I think it's just thinking about who you would want to be reading your book, who you think maybe would benefit, who doesn't know about you that should. And you have to be a little confident in that, but, you know, try to channel all of that confidence and and think critically and then look at comps. So who are other authors or other titles? And I would say look outside of publishing too. So if you're trying to target Gen Z, are there brands that they're really aligning with right now? Are there platforms that they're focusing on? Are there TV shows that they're talking about or you know, musical artists. So it doesn't have to just be writing and other authors. You can look at kind of other lifestyle spaces where people might be readers, but also are listening to something on Spotify that they're interested in, or dare I say podcasts, you know, are there other podcasts that you might want to target that you think would really capture the interest of readers? So I think just really kind of getting a full scope and thinking, on an individual level, what would your reader be interested in? Hmm. I think that's a really well thought out answer. And that helped me certainly as genre hop, but I also feel like I age hop with the categories I write in. So I love that. And there's also crossover. There's fantasy and romance have crossover or, you know, thriller and mystery also might lead to like new releases in movie theaters. So like Yeah, there's total crossover in so many spaces. Is there any kind of social media promotion that actually directly causes book sales or is it more nebulous, like creating the hype and the buzz? It's it's nebulous. I will say in the last three years, I have never seen anything because, you know, from a publishing standpoint, let's back up. Oftentimes, unless it's a direct sale on your website and you are shipping it from your warehouse and you know this person came to your website, bought the book, and you shipped it out from your warehouse directly to them, you often can't see a direct sale. You can see, oh, this person went to Amazon We don't know what they bought once they got to Amazon because Amazon's not necessarily sharing all of that information with us. Or you might see at the end of the day, oh, we sold X number of books with 
an indie bookstore or with Barnes and Noble, but you can't say the causation. You can only look at the correlation. So with that said, the best correlation I have seen is actually TikTok. And what I love about TikTok in driving book sales, and we also have seen this on Instagram with kind of bookstagrammers and influencers who are talking about books in a really open, critical, exciting way, but especially on TikTok, it's an honest review. And sometimes a product, and it's books especially, but you know, you see other products where someone just says, look at this cool thing I discovered. It's making my day easier. And it can be, look at this novel I just read. It made me ugly cry in front of my best friend and she thought something was wrong. And I said, no, it's just this beautiful book. You kind of have a very cute personal story and that suddenly we're seeing books sell like crazy. Nonfiction is a big part of that too. So kind of in the health and wellness and mental health and health spaces, people saying like, I bought this book. It changed the way I'm thinking about my generational trauma we then see a huge bump in sales for the body keep score or, you know, I worked on a book called anti-diet that is amazing and life-changing like that we will see bumps in. So I think authenticity is one of the best things selling books on the internet. The thing with that is you can't always, it's not people necessarily authentically saying buy my book. It's often other people saying, I loved your book, but that's the beautiful sense of community unto itself. So that's kind of an exciting space that we're in right now in terms of what moves the needle. We are about to get into our final question, and it may touch on things that you've already said, but if you had to boil marketing down to one golden rule that you wished authors knew, what would it be? Man, what a hard question. Can my golden rule have a couple facets to it? A couple clauses? It's your golden rule, so you can do whatever you want with it. Okay, I love this. I love this power. So I would say the kind of golden rule of marketing is, oh, this sounds, my golden rule, my advice, not (laughs) the, is going to be when you are marketing your book online and you're writing online, be authentic, do no harm, and just remember why you are doing this, why you are a writer, why you have the story that you want to share, and know there are people out there who want to read this and like, what a time to be alive that they don't have to be anywhere near you and you can go on to the magical internet and find them. And so I think just remember they are out there. It might take some time to find them. Stay kind of positive and excited in what you can do. Because I do think I'm biased, but I do think marketing can be very, very fun. That was our final question. Thank you so much for being on here. This has been the Writish Podcast interviewing Lauren Hesse of Little Brown. Thank you so much for being here. Her social media will be linked in the show notes. And please return for next week when we will be back with another episode introducing a segment we're very excited for called Genre Gossip, starting with the romance genre. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Writish Podcast, on Twitter at write underscore ish, and on Kofi at writish. Bye.